Hey, it's Derek, your friendly co-host of Rethinking God with Tacos, alongside Jason Clark, who has asked me if I would like for you to hear one of my messages from the church that I pastor. For those of you who don't know, I pastor River Church right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a little while back on Palm Sunday, I did a message called When Love Comes to Town. This message is straight from my heart. It's really dealing with a lot of the things that we discuss here on Rethinking God with Tacos, and I hope you enjoy it. So sit back and listen up to When Love Comes to Town. I did not know that, but Grayson, I'm sure, has something to do with that. I don't know if you've heard that song before, but it's U2 and B.B. King uh, in uh, um, Rattle and Hum, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies and albums that you two ever did. And uh, the song is When Love Comes to Town. And really, that's the title of my sermon today, When Love Comes to Town. So <laughs> thanks for that. I guess I, I should have come up at the height of it and, like, I don't know, done something cool, but there's not much cool left in this guy. Um, love came to town. Let me read a passage of scripture that articulates that. And then let's dive into what Palm Sunday really is all about. Uh, because there's so much amazing contrast and irony in what Palm Sunday is all about. But here's Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 and 9. In the message paraphrase, it says, The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name, Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is Jesus' amazing entry into Jerusalem the week before he was crucified. And, and people were just extravagantly lauding him and praising him because this was their Messiah who had come to rescue them from oppression. And, and so the, the, the beauty of this scene is that they had no idea how he was going to rescue them. They had ideas. They had, they had an expectation that was absolutely destroyed a week later. So I kind of want to look back at that time frame. And I want to I ask you to do something this week. And I want you to kind of sit in this story because it's going to do something for you. The Holy Spirit is going to activate something in you as you sit in this story. And I know, I know it's difficult because we're on this side of the cross. And we know the story. We know the resurrection. We know the outcome. We know Easter's coming. But I want you to kind of sit in that moment of what our king was willing to do for us. What Jesus was willing to do for us. You know, in the Middle Eastern world, leaders rode horses to, uh, when they went to war. When they were coming to overthrow a place, they weren't on a donkey. I mean, that's like, that's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. I mean, don't, don't bring a donkey to where a horse is supposed to ride in. And, and, but Jesus' entrance on this colt really demonstrated that he was coming in peace. He was coming not only in peace, he was coming as the prince of peace. And there was a lasting peace that was going to last far beyond any conquering or empire building or any of that. There was a peace that was coming to all mankind. Every man, woman, and child had access to the Prince of Peace because he became one of us. Because 
He gave his life for all of us. So this moment of Palm Sunday is all about this contrast. You know, I want you to remember something today, and I love this quote because Bill Johnson uh, said this, and it, it actually changed my life. It changed my perception of God himself. And he said, Jesus is perfect theology. And I want you to remember that when we look at the life of Jesus, we are looking at who God says he is. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. And when God wanted to reveal himself fully and perfectly, he became flesh. He became one of us. The Bible doesn't say that God was with Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There was never any separation between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so this demonstration of our king riding in peacefully on a donkey to give his life for us is just absolutely amazing. I mean, we have got to get to a place where we compare and contrast every thought about God through the filter of Jesus. We're really not allowed to have a view of God outside of who Jesus is. And that's an important thing. This has been life-changing for me. Because if God is who I thought he was, I actually don't know that I want to have anything to do with him. And this is what the world is telling us right now. Well, I don't want your God. Now, Jesus, I like him, but I don't want your God. Little do they know that that was and is our God who came riding in on that Palm Sunday to give his life to enter into death for every single one of us. I mean, just consider the contrast here that the creator submitted to the creation. Take a moment and sit in that this week. Our creator, who created all of this, became his creation. He submitted to his creation. He created the wood of the cross that he was nailed to. He, he created the ability for mankind to have the wisdom to make iron in the spear that was thrust in his side. I mean, this, this goes far beyond anything you can possibly imagine or think as far as a type of rescue plan that our God had for us. Every person since Adam has been blind to the reality of who God is until Jesus showed up. And man, that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate the one that showed up. Yeah, we, we do it at Christmas of the incarnation, and that's great. I love talking about that. I'm absolutely obsessed with the incarnation just from a theological standpoint. But on this Palm Sunday is when the rubber meets the road. It's the point at which, okay, here's how this rescue plan is going to unfold. And you're throwing branches at me and you're declaring my, my glory because you think I'm coming in to overthrow this other empire. No, I'm coming in to overthrow death itself. I'm coming, I'm coming in to bring the Gentiles into this. I, all the Gentiles in the room just say thank you. It's not just about this one tribe and group of people that, that the Messiah came through. Although, yes, thank you. We bless our, our Jewish brothers and sisters. We bless Israel. We bless Jerusalem. But this is opened up to all. Jesus opened it up to all. But we have to renew our minds to this. See, that becoming more like Jesus isn't about willpower and trying to be better. It's really about changing the way you think. It's changing the framing in which you think about things. I was talking to uh, Jill today. Jill got a new car. She got a, a sweet little Mazda SUV. And I asked her, I said, Jill, do you notice like that car all the time now? She's like, yeah, totally. I never noticed that car before. But now that I own one, I completely see it everywhere. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
Like you made, a, you made a purchase of something, and now you see that everywhere, and you never saw it before. You gave yourself to that, and now the framing in your mind is just programmed to be on the lookout for that. I mean, side note, but I kind of feel like we should do that with gratitude. I, think, I, feel, I feel like that would be a good thing for us to say, okay, I'm going to have a framework and a mindset of gratitude so that I can think in terms of thanksgiving. I can think in terms of being grateful. I think a framework of humility would probably do us some good, right? I think the virtue that, that grows in us from the Holy Spirit's indwelling and the fruit that begins to come out of us starts by knowing that we belong. We belong. And that message is for everybody. It's not just for people who have said yes to Jesus or their eyes have been opened or they've been awakened to the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is available to everybody. Jesus came to say, you belong. And you can become more and more empowered by my love. You can be patient and kind. Man, Sarah loves kindness. She loves it when I'm kind. And man, I'm working on it. I'm working on it more and more. But you know, I found that it's really more about renewing my mind than just trying harder to grit it out. Listen to Romans 12 too. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I think we, we want to live that kind of life, don't we? We want to live a life that's satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Um, I got news for you. You're not going to do that on your own. You're not going to do that in your own strength. In fact, you're going to do better in your weakness because when you are weak, he is strong in you. And I just there's those times when I just kind of give up and just say, okay, Lord, I like the song that we sang today. I, all I have is yours. Everything I am, you own. I am completely yielded to you. Now, now help me live a beautiful life. Help me demonstrate the amazing gracious nature that you demonstrated by giving yourself for me. Bill Johnson, another quote from Bill um, we just, we love Bill around here. He says, I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't have in his head about me. You can't afford it. And yet, you have been lied to by the enemy to make you think that that voice in your head is God shaming you. No. That's, that's the enemy's words. How many of you have ever felt like God is just disappointed with you? Like you're, you're you know, you're one of his worst, worst mistakes. I felt that way. That self-condemnation begins to come in and it, it poisons our soul because God is not thinking that about you. God is not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Jesus is not pacing the throne room right now, twiddling his thumbs like, oh my gosh, the church is so screwed up. No, that's Twitter. Twitter will tell you that. <laughs> Jesus is like, yeah, I died for this church. It's my body. I love them. I'm, I'm the head. I'm going to make this body everything it's supposed to be. I'm not worried about it. I'm seated in confidence next to love, knowing that my love is in them, ready to change the world. I'm inviting you to a mindset shift that will forever change the way you see other people, the way you see the Father, the way you see yourself. It's so important. You can never love your neighbor to a greater degree than you love yourself. We have to spend time recognizing that that love of the Father is for us. And we just, we drove to Oklahoma this last week. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
to visit my mom. She's, uh, she's been sick. She has been diagnosed with cancer, and, and she's fighting it, and she wants to live, and she wants to have victory, and we're believing for a miracle. Uh, but we decided to let's drive and see them, spend some time with them. And uh, I had a, had a moment with my dad, and he just pulled me aside. And he hugs me. He says, you're a good father. You're a good father. And I'm like, Dad, you're a good father. And he's like, no, no, I haven't been a good father. You know? How many else have a situation similar to that where your, your dad thinks that maybe he was a bad dad or, you know, and now he's kind of like beating himself up over it. And I was like, no, Dad, you're a great dad. Look, look at the heritage and the legacy of your children and your grandchildren and, and the decisions that you made that were so amazing for our family. You're a good dad. But how good did it feel for me as a father now to have my own father hold me and just say, you're a good dad, you know? And I really believe that that's what we need. We don't need theology. We don't need more knowledge. We need a hug. (laughs) We need a hug just to say, you're a good mother. You're a good son. You're a good daughter. You're a good father. You are my prized possession. I call you blameless. I call you forgiven. Man, I call you, I call you my masterpiece. Man, maybe you don't feel that way, but this isn't about feelings. This is about trust. This is about faith. This is about believing what he says in spite of what we see. And if you don't have it in your own life, you're never going to see other people differently. We need to see other people in the way that God sees them. And listen, been saying this recently, maybe for the past, I don't know, a couple years now. Um, love your enemies is still a thing. <laughs> I mean, I say that kind of facetiously, but it's like, hey, you know, love your enemies is what Jesus asked us to do. And if we can't love ourselves, if we can't love other people in the church, look, you may not see eye to eye with everybody, but you can definitely walk hand in hand with everybody. And that's what he has done with us. He came and he walked beside us. He said, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm going to walk through everything in this life. You are not alone. And when you have that message of grace and the, and the king of kings walking with you, now we can carry that to every person that needs to know that same information. They need to have that same hug of love that says, hey, you're not alone. You belong. Let this Palm Sunday be an amazing, mind-renewing experience for you. Let this entire week, as we enter into Easter, just be a mind-renewing time for you with fresh commitment. Philippians 2.5 says, Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before his, let his mindset be your motivation. This this same uh, chapter in Philippians talks about how he emptied himself. He emptied himself and became one of us. And and his mindset that motivated him was the mindset of a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And when they were waving those branches at him, I mean, who wouldn't want to be lauded like that? Who wouldn't want to have an entrance like that? Of course, I mean, me, I I want you to and B.B. King playing everywhere I go. Love come. Hey, love came to town. Here I am, you know, but like. It was such a contrast because he was going to lay his life down. It was such an irony. It was a a divine irony that the one that they were praising, they'd be crucifying in a week. 
And, you know, Jesus said, look, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If, if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. And that's how we need to view other people. That same servant mindset needs to be in us. And, and we serve people with the love of God, no matter what. No matter what. Matthew 20, verse 26 and 28 says, You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others. Because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone, and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. Man, what a contrast. What a contrast. Palm Sunday is about contrast. But Palm Sunday is also about commitment. Palm Sunday is about commitment. You know, the act of throwing one's cloak on the ground was a sign of homage and submission, of laying oneself down in the hopes that the coming king would be able to bring deliverance. God put on our cloak. God put on flesh. He became human, a human named Jesus, a historical event that changed everything. And his cloak of flesh was trampled on and abused. But it paved the way for our salvation. The word of God committed to become human, die human, and remain human so we could be rescued. I mean, this is the ultimate commitment. The ultimate commitment is forever I'm entering into this body. I'm becoming my creation. I'm becoming my prized creation. And you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to ask this question today, and I just want us to re-up. I feel like there's a, there's a grace for a fresh commitment today. And uh, I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus. Um, I know a lot of people in this room, and I know you guys are highly committed followers of Jesus, and, man, you want to see the kingdom come. You want to see people know the goodness of God. But I'm just asking us to take a moment and make a fresh commitment based on his commitment. Could you just kind of check your commitment level today and ask, ask yourself, what am I committed to? You know, I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to my wife and my daughters. I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to the kingdom of God. I am committed to my neighbors in my neighborhood. And all of that is good and virtuous and, and great. But ultimately, I'm committed to Jesus, the one who was committed to me. I'm committed to love the way love was committed to me. Can you just check yourself right now? Maybe just bow your head. Just say, Lord, I, I, I re-up my commitment with you. I, I just lay aside any other commitment that has tried to take your place of maybe making money or, or pursuing a successful career. Or, all those things are great, and, and don't, don't give up on that. But my number one commitment today, I make a fresh commitment to Jesus because he was so committed to me. By the way, if, if you do want help with your walk with Jesus, man, we want to help you. We want to be a church that comes alongside you. Uh, we have Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible today, we have a Bible for you. Uh, we have resources that can help you. Sarah and I are available. Our team is available to pray with you at any time. We want to walk with people the way Jesus has walked with us. He was committed. You know, often we, we take pride in our own commitment uh, we revel in our virtuous works. We proclaim our own faithfulness. We all put our best foot forward. You know, like Peter, we proclaim our willingness to, I will die for you. I'm going to do anything for you. And Jesus was like, yeah, you're going to deny me three times and everyone's going to leave me. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to pray for you, Peter. 
and, and I accept you just the way you are. Peter had to have a mindset change that went from his commitment to Jesus' commitment. And see, we need to make that same mindset change today because it is our commitment to him that is empowered by his commitment to us. When you recognize his commitment to you, that's the only way you can be committed to him. I mean, you could try through willpower. How many of y'all have tried to just knuckle, white knuckle it? We were driving through somewhere, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri. And it was this windy path that was taking us through over the rivers, I know, Ohio River, the Missouri River. I don't know. There were a lot of rivers. And it was raining, and we got rerouted through this thing, and, and it was pouring rain. It was a two-lane road. So you got all these trucks that are, you know, delivering stuff all over the nation. They're rerouted too. Man, and it's like flying by me on this little two-lane road. And it was just white knuckling. And I told Sarah later, I said, I hate this. I hate this. I don't ever want to do this again. And, um, and I kind of heard the Lord say, yeah, Derek, I, I don't need you to be doing that. I don't need you to be white knuckling it. I'll be your strength. When you're weak, I, I am strong. I'm committed to you. And let my commitment to you empower your commitment to me. The Bible tells us clearly that God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you're, if you're trying to please God today, I got news for you. He's already pleased. You're already his favorite. Today, George came to me during worship, and he said he just had a vision of all creation, the trees, the birds, the planets, all the people, all the angels were just lauding this praise on Jesus. And the whole creation was there. And it was just this beautiful sign and beautiful scene. And George said, he sensed the Lord say, yeah, I, I would rather just be alone with you having coffee. I want to just be with you. That, that, that's the message today. There's an intimacy that we need to embrace that he did it for me. It's not selfish. It's the only way that you'll be empowered to ever do anything for anyone else is by knowing that he did it for you. He was committed. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3 in the message says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. Here's, here's the key for us. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. I, I would like you... Um, at least by Friday, Friday, this Friday, coming up. Would you go over that story? It's found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I like John's version, uh, just one of my favorites. Go over the story from the Passover meal to the cross and just sit in that for a little bit. Just, just let it enable your own commitment because you realize his commitment for you and take it personally. Take it personally. That this is what he did for me. And he was willing to do it for me because he wants that one-on-one, face-to-face relationship. I, see, I, I personally believe that this, you know, next great awakening that people talk about 
We've had some astounding awakenings in our own country and around the world, revivals and different things. And I'm, I love it. I want to see more of it. But, you know, I don't want to have to travel to Toronto or Scotland. Man, I want the revival to be right here inside of me. And I believe with all my heart that this next major move of God is just going to be a one-on-one move all over the planet. People in homes and living rooms, on couches and in cafes, absolutely one-on-one, just loving people, showing them the face of Jesus in their own life so that they can have a relationship. Their eyes can be opened. They can be awakened to the reality of Christ in them, the hope of glory. This is my dream for the church, is that, we, man, we gather, we sing. Man, I love it. I mean, when we first started coming back from quarantine, the first time we sang together, I was just overwhelmed. I was like, man, I, I don't get this at home. I can't do this at home. And, and I feel like that's, that's a huge part of just our worship and revitalizing us and helping us to gather and encourage and comfort and strengthen one another. And I know you're not here just for my preaching. But then we go out, and the other six days of the week, man, we can see revival one-on-one in the heart of every person that we meet. I'm down for that. How about you guys? So go over that story. Um, Commit to following Jesus. Commit to being a follower of Jesus. Commit to the fruit of the Spirit being developed and grown in you. And commit to the love of the Father. It's not hard. These are the things that we need to commit to. His doing, I wrote this down, his doing created my being so my being can get on with his doing. That's what the body of Christ is. We're, we're, we're supposed to represent Jesus. And, and I, w- I want to say today, thank you for representing him well. Thank you. I think you guys are doing a great job. I think a lot of people are doing a great job. You know, if you just look at all the negativity and the division within the church, then that's all you're going to see. I don't think that's what Jesus sees. I think Jesus sees, calls those things that be not as though they were. He's a, he's a God of faith. And he, he sees the church as glorious and redeemed. He sees the church as loving and kind and peaceful. That framing will absolutely change the way you see yourself and the way you see others. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. That brings me to my final point. Palm Sunday is about contrast. Palm Sunday is about commitment. But Palm Sunday is really about compassion. Palm Sunday is about compassion. Jesus was always about compassion. He was motivated by compassion. I mean, when when people were sick or hungry, compassion is what nudged Jesus to bring all the resources of heaven into that situation. I want you to be on the lookout for what what activates compassion in you. It may be different for all of us. Not all, all of us are alike. And compassion gets activated in us. When it does, for me, that's always a sign that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Derek, here's something I would like you to uh, demonstrate and activate on my behalf. I would like you to draw from heaven the resources to meet that need in that person's life. Man, compassion just absolutely should be our number one motivation. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. John 1.14 says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Here's the key. He was full of unfailing love. He wasn't full of judgment. He wasn't full of fear. He wasn't full of hell, fire, and brimstone teaching. 
He was full of compassion. He was full of love. The message says it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Love came to town. Love came to town. That's how he sees you. And I believe that's how other people are going to begin to see you. It's like, man, so thankful for that person in my life. They've demonstrated love to me. They've brought me closer in my connection to the kingdom of heaven, my connection to the Father, because I know what love looks like because I know them. This, this is the challenge for all of us is to let love so permeate every realm of our body, our identity, that we become motivated by it. We become led by it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Here's the thing, things that compassion always does. Compassion moves into another's world. Compassion shows up in unexpected ways. Compassion connects people to God. So really what I'm asking you to do on this Palm Sunday is to put on his cloak. Put on his cloak of compassion. He put on our cloak of flesh and blood to bring us out of blindness, to destroy death from the inside out. I love it. I mean, I love it. What Jesus did, what God did, it was, it was so, I mean, almost subversive. The, the Bible tells us that had the enemy known the plan of God, he would never have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, I, I don't know, right off the bat, that tells me, like, how smart he is. Well, missed that one. Sorry. Ruined everything for you. Now we're insiders. Now we're aware of our our connection with heaven and connection with the Father. But until we put that cloak on, see, that's where it's our job to say, I'm going to put on the cloak that he wore. I'm going to put on the cloak of compassion. I'm going to let that be my guide, and I'm going to let that demonstrate to every person the same thing that's been demonstrated to me, the unfailing love of God that is willing to go the distance no matter what. It's willing to be spit on, hair pulled, whipped, and nailed to a cross. Spear pierced in the side. Willing, and you know, no one's going to mistake you or crucify you because they think that needs to happen. That's already happened. But sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? And you know what else? Just felt like, man, everything's against me. Everything's going wrong. Everything, everybody hates me. I've been in those situations. And until we remind ourselves of his compassion, we'll never see things differently. I'm asking you to open your eyes to reality, a new reality. It's always been here. It was purchased for us by Jesus. But when you put that cloak on, all of a sudden, love changes you. Love changes your outlook. It changes the way you treat other people gives you the stamina and the endurance to go the distance. Colossians in the message, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, says it this way. So, take this, take this personally today. Maybe just bow your heads. Close your eyes. And just, just listen to this as a word from the Father today. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, Quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. 
It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Here's the thing. Love always shows up in human form. Always. There is no love without a human being demonstrating it. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, you're it. You are the view that people will have of Jesus. The view that they will have of the Father that has gone the distance for them. Why? Because you're willing to go the distance for them as well. I'm not in any way suggesting that you just get walked on, that you, you have to just suffer in this life. I'm telling you that when love comes truly upon you and you wear it like a garment, it will not fail. It will cause the situation to turn. It will cause people who are enemies to become friends. See, that's, that's how we destroy our enemies, by making them our friends. This is what Jesus has done for us. I'm inviting you to wear that garment of compassion because he did it for us. I want to receive communion over this today. If you have your elements, would you get them ready? If you don't have your communion elements, just raise your hand. Usher would, will get it to you right away if you didn't pick one up on the way in. As ushers are serving people, I want to remind you that it is said of communion, of this meal that we demonstrate in, in a symbolic form by this, this wafer and this juice. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of the one who rode in peacefully on a donkey and was crucified a week later. The one who was hailed as king and rejoiced over to the one that was spit on and beaten pierced with a spear how quickly things can change how quickly we can go from lauding someone to wanting to destroy them that's a reminder that's the reminder the ultimate reminder is that God himself was in that body reconciling the world reconciling our minds that were blind and confused fearful of death he destroyed all that. And his body today says, you're healed. You're whole. You know, my, my mom is struggling with cancer right now. And we're believing for a miracle. And I mean, I'm at, this, I'm at the point in my life where I've seen miracles. I've seen people. I've seen blind eyes open. I've been a part of that. It's amazing to see a miracle. But you know what? Ultimately, if, if she goes on to be with the Lord, hey, you got your miracle. That's what this body says, is that I became one of you to do this for all of you. So when you receive this today, do so joyfully, do so with celebration, but also do it with sobriety of just remembering what your King has done for you. Jesus, we picture you on that cross, your body pierced for us, taking stripes on your back, and we receive you fully and totally. Receive that. The night before he was betrayed, Jesus with his disciples took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant is about ready to be fulfilled. Absolutely fulfilled on your behalf. 
You're not going to be able to follow enough rules to be made righteous. I'm going to call you righteous because my blood calls you righteous. This blood is what says you are forgiven and that you belong. So we receive the blood of Jesus, the blood of this new covenant that we walk so confidently in. Receive. Would you stand today? I want us just to take a moment in this time of worship as we close. And I want you to reflect on your commitment. Reflect on your compassion. Reflect on what he has done on your behalf and celebrate it. We're so glad that you are joining us for season two of Rethinking God with Tacos. Uh, you can find me, Derek Turner, at rivercharlotte.com. That's my church. And I'm on all the social medias yes. as Pastor Derek T. D-E-R-E-K, Pastor Derek T. Yeah, and uh, he's a Twitter savant. you got to follow him on Twitter. I, I would like all of your stuff, but I don't want you to think that I'm... Uh, a troll. A troll? No. No. Uh, no. I don't want you to think I'm stalking A fanboy. I'm a fanboy, absolutely. I, got you. I, got I am. You. You're really good at it, man. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter uh, at Jason Clark Is, uh, and you can find all of these podcasts, including season one, on all of the platforms, Apple, uh, Spotify, Spotify uh, all the places. All the places. You can also go to afamilystory.org. And everything's there. If you sign up for our mailing list, we send out a weekly email that has uh, articles, podcast information, and uh, we also let you know about new books coming out or events that we're uh, connected to. So yeah. uh, like, share, retweet, and, uh, and man, if you could write a review, it actually does something for the rankings. It, it, it does, it yeah. Available, so. But a five-star review, of course. If, yes. You know, if you can't write a five-star review or something, <laughs> like, just don't even write don't, a review. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like if you can't say something nice, don't say anything, don't say at, anything all. at all. I, I like that. And then apply that to this podcast. Definitely. <laughs> That's my motto. That's I like what it. I, do. I love it. So love you guys. Appreciate you coming on the ride with us. God bless you.